Christ Jesus our Lord. The mighty God summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Our God comes and will not be silent. The heavens declare his righteousness. Offer up praise to your God and give thanksgiving. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, who is from everlasting, you have made us, we have not made ourselves. You have set us but a handbreadth from you, that we, your children, may learn the ways of freedom and choose you with all our heart. Grant us now your Holy Spirit, that confident in prayer we may worship you with gladness and become as little children before you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first hymn is number 196, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. Let us then turn away from sin and turn to God, confessing our sins in penitence and faith. Let us pray together. Most holy God, who searches the hearts of all people and separates the wheat from the chaff, we confess that we have rebelled against you and committed such sin that we have loved ourselves more than our neighbors and have dishonored and rebelled against you and your holy laws. We bring nothing to you but await your salvation, who is Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, but now shall come with lightning and fire to separate the wicked from the righteous. In your power come among us, and with great might strengthen us, so that though by our sins and wickedness we are grievously hindered in running the race that is set before us, your bountiful grace and mercy may speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The Almighty God, by whose salvation our Savior Jesus Christ came among us in great humility, justifies us, makes us right with his redeeming grace, and sets us free from all sin. This he does through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. All those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. We rejoice in the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Scripture says, For this is the will of God, that you abstain from immorality, that each of you know how to control his own or her own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like heathen who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Well, this is chastity, is the word the church um, has traditionally used to talk about this kind of behavior. That word immorality um, has uh, its roots in the scripture. Um, other words are used there, and often it's a catch-all kind of a word. Um, sometimes there are those today who, who want to single it out as applying to certain kinds of behavior and not to other kinds of behavior, but that's to misunderstand how it's used in the scripture. Scripture can be specific about certain kinds of behavior, uh, immoral behavior, but it can also have a, a general um, category, and that's often how that word is, appears in the scripture. It's God's will that we live chaste lives, and chastity has been uh, reduced to just a marital act, um, that it's, it's uh, the commitment of a man and a woman to each other for life and to raise and love whatever children proceed from that marital union. And that's true. That's, that's a very, very important way to understand what chastity is and how the proper context for those kinds of relations. Um, and the Word of God instructs us to do these things. But chastity is a virtue for all of us, every stage of life. So we shouldn't just think of it, well, that applies to those who are married, and the rest of us just try to you know, uh, not engage in those kinds of things. But it's, it's also a virtue. It's a way of acting in our relations and how we present ourselves to other people. And that's true for everyone. It's the constant desire to love another person the way that person should be loved according to their human dignity. And that doesn't mean necessarily the way they want to be loved. It just means the way that is appropriate for one person to love another person according to God's um, purpose. So this applies to husband and wives in marriage, and it applies to every other person. 
Love is giving oneself to the other for the good of that person. It is respecting the dignity of the other in all times and in every way. It's never treating the other person as a means to an end. And unfortunately, in our consumer kind of culture, that's what we do with, um, with sex, quite frankly, in our sexualities. We treat it, um, the other person, as a means to an end, which is our own pleasure. It's a very, very pernicious way to deal with other people, and it's very strong in our culture. Chastity enables you to look beyond the surface of the person, whatever might be attractive to you there, to the interior of the person, to realize this is a person. This is uh, someone who has been created in the image of God with that dignity, even though they've become sinners. That um, being created in the image of God is not erased, and so they are a person, a human being, and they need to be treated as such, not a thing for my own pleasure. So Jesus Christ makes us chase people, people with that virtue, that desire to treat other people in a way that is right and according to God's purposes. And most of all, he gives us the grace to live this kind of a chaste life. So that's what we are praying for, that's what we are pursuing, and that's what is very, very much against us in our culture. And so we must rely on Christ and the Holy Spirit to make us people who live chaste lives. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 197, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. What long was 
Let us pray. Almighty God, our merciful Savior, the scripture says your word declares to us, and you have acted this way. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You grant gifts to your people even before they even ask, and when we do ask, you are quick to hear and care for us as our Heavenly Father. We thank you for the promise of the coming of our salvation. We give thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for all the times past when you have guarded us from evil and when you have comforted us in our suffering and when you have given us what we needed, like the love and fellowship of your church. Here we are gathered together, and you have brought us together and given us that great love and fellowship and comfort, as we just sang. Hear us again as we bring our petitions to you in gratitude for your loving kindness. We do pray for the church of Jesus Christ, that it may be full of the knowledge of the Lord and of his love and be covered by the righteousness of Christ. We pray for the churches of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and in our presbytery. We pray for Bruce Buchanan, who uh, is up in the Central Lake part of Michigan, his former church, Chain of Lakes OPC. We also pray for Pilgrim OPC in Metamora and their pastor, David Bonner. We pray for the people in Ukraine and Israel-Palestine where war rages and many are being killed, including Christians. We pray for our own cities where people shoot students and violently assault each other. Stop the evil powers, we pray, from killing. Protect your church in those places. Give peace and rest to societies where there has been so much violence. May all of your people work for respect of human life. We pray also for the church in the nations of Europe where society has become so secular and Christianity is generally rejected. Make your people resolute in righteousness and in their willingness to to witness to Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day when there will be no more violence and war and the whole earth will be filled with your justice and righteousness. And as we wait for that day, may we be witnesses to that in all that we do and say. Here are our prayers for the church and for the places in this world where there is great trouble. For the leaders in every church we pray, for ministers and elders and deacons, here are prayers for those who come to mind. For those who do not yet believe and those who have turned away from the faith, We pray that their eyes would be open to the light of Christ, to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And may we, by your grace, point them to Jesus Christ. Convert the sinful, O Lord, and free them from their bondage. Hear our prayers for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. For the leaders of this nation and those in positions of public trust, we pray that they may serve the common good with honesty and justice. And we pray that those who destroy what is good in society would be removed from positions of power. We also remember and pray for the inmates in jail like Ronaldo and Rich and the others we met last Friday. And for their families, their friends who wait for them on outside of the jail. Here are our prayers for our nation and for the inmates.
And for this congregation, we pray for wisdom and unity. We also call out to you for those who are struggling with pain, fatigue, sickness, hurt, depression. We pray for Frida and Eduardo and Leah, Fawn, Jeff, Tammy, her family, Becky, Karen, Bob, Phil, Tom, Angie, Dominique, Barbara, Susan, Jane, and others we name to you in silence. Grant them your healing power, give them faith, and deliver them from their trouble. And we pray for those who are unemployed or having trouble paying their bills or need to find a place to live. Here are our prayers for them and for the church to find ways to help them. As you are the giver of life and health, comfort and relieve these who we lift up to you. Strengthen them with your grace, and may they have confident trust in Christ, who is our salvation. Rejoicing in the fellowship of the saints, we entrust ourselves, one another, and all of life to you, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Let us now pray our prayer for illumination as we prepare to hear God's word read and preached. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your help in, in receiving your word today. Help us to hear. Help us to believe. Help us to obey and increase in us our faith and our joy and our gratitude. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring of the Lord. They are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself, with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Let's respond with our Psalter response printed in the bulletin. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, 
We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams in the Those who sow in tears shall bring out shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping shall come home with shouts of joy. Our epistle reading is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16 and following. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We turn finally to our gospel reading in John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see <clears throat> He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought to him he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of the Lord. Long time ago, when I was a pastor far, far away, another minister at the church I served asked me if I thought there were prophets today. We were in a staff situation. It was a large church, and uh, he, he brought that up for us to consider. And I had to stop and think about what he was asking. We were not a charismatic church, and he had no regard for charismatic teaching that said there are still prophets today who bring a word from the Lord to the church. And therefore, I assumed he was not asking if there were prophets today like that. Actually, his theological understanding was rather liberal, so I concluded he was asking about prophets who shake things up, people who were forward-thinking socially and politically, people like Gene Robinson, who was a gay priest in the Episcopal Church and pushed for the church to enthusiastically affirm that lifestyle, or those who stir up the church to redefine its Trinitarian doctrine and language to be gender-neutral In other words, stop using the language of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or those who push the church to accept all religions as leading to the same God, or people who vocally call out the United States for its wars or social inequality. Knowing my colleague, I think that's what he meant by whether or not there are prophets today. His question was really, do we accept these agitators in the church as prophets? Now, just because someone agitates for political and social change does not make them a prophet of God. Still, his question has stuck with me, as you can see, all these years. Are there prophets of God today? And our text from the Gospel of John is a dialogue, an interrogation, actually, of John the Baptist. And Jesus calls him a prophet in the Gospel of Matthew, And more than a prophet, that's the way Jesus describes him in the Gospel of Matthew. So the question before us that that, that kind of leads out from this is, are there 
more prophets today. We always meet John the Baptist during Advent. This is the Sunday when the texts, all the scripture lessons for the second Sunday of Advent, all relate to John the Baptist, at least the gospel parts of it. And in our reading from the Gospel of John, John the Baptist bumped into the leaders of the Jews, or maybe I should say the Jews bumped into him. The Jewish officials in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him questions. Now, the priests were the specialists, you might say, in purification. And the Levites were the temple security. They handled the problems, so the two came together. And they met with John the Baptist to ask him a question. Who are you? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? There were great expectations among the Jewish people about the servant of the Lord. This was a time in that place, in, in, in that, in that uh, world, part of the world, when there were huge expectations among the Jews. The prophets of old have, had spoken of marvelous things that God would do. We heard some of it from our Old Testament lesson. The people had reflected on the scripture. They had been hearing it preached and taught in their synagogues, like our reading from Isaiah, which spoke of someone from the Lord saying, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. And the scripture, another scripture that says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And another scripture that says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. These people had been hearing these texts their whole lifetime. And they'd been hearing about this one who would come. Now here's the problem for us today. We already link all that with Jesus Christ. But before Jesus showed up, they didn't know who that was. It was sort of a, 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 there was a certain, there was an uncertainty about it all. So they had these expectations, but an uncertainty. The people had developed different ideas about this future Messiah from the Lord. They had reduced it down to a few possibilities. There, it wasn't like everything was fair game, but they had a few, um, there were a number of different possibilities. Um, but whatever the case, they knew that he was from the Lord. The Lord himself was going to do something great. The prophets of the Old Testament had already prophesied of that, and he would do something that was mighty for the entire world. The scripture said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and the nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is exciting stuff. But what's going to happen? How's the Lord going to do that? Who is this servant? Who is this righteous one that God would send? So there there was plenty of expectation about the Lord's anointed one in the hearts and minds of the Jewish people. And some even came to believe that John the Baptist was the Messiah. There were some among his followers who thought he's the Messiah. The Jewish officials questioned John and he answered them, Actually, our reading says he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. This is a negative confession. We make positive confessions, like when we confess our faith with the Nicene Creed, but there are also negative confessions that have to be made. And John made one. He was not the Messiah. We don't have to accept how people define us. I've become pretty sensitive to that as I've gotten older, um, as I talk to people and they find out I'm a Christian and I, I talk to them as a Christian and help them try to understand 
um, what we believe and, and what, you know, what we're trying to uh, tell the world about Jesus Christ. And then they turn around and they say, well, you're this or you're that or you believe this or that. And sometimes they've kind of got a handle on it. Other times they're just wrong. We don't have to accept the way people define us and the way they, they try to put us in, into their little boxes. And that's what John did. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not what you expect, what you think is coming. There were other expectations and speculations percolating among the Jews. Are you Elijah, they asked. And there was this idea that Elijah or an Elijah-like person would come just before the Lord's future salvation. The prophet Malachi had spoken of Elijah coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And other writings of the Jews told of Elijah coming as well. The expectation of Elijah was widespread in that land of Israel and Palestine at the time of Jesus. And it was believed that Elijah would be the forerunner of the Messiah. So if you could identify who Elijah was, then you knew it was the advent of the Lord. If you could say, hey, Elijah's here, wow, the Lord's right behind him, coming along. And later it was even held that Elijah would anoint the Messiah. Elijah would actually be present somehow and he would anoint the Messiah. So they asked John the Baptist if he was Elijah, and John made another negative confession, I am not John would not affirm the people's speculations and spiritual interpretations, because that's what this was. When they tried to define him as Elijah, they were working with their own ideas, spiritual ideas and interpretations of the prophets. And lastly, the Jewish officials asked John if he was the prophet, the prophet, not a prophet. Are you the prophet? You see, there were also speculations that a new prophet would come on the order of Moses, a prophet like Moses. There was this hope that a new prophet would be sent to help Israel. And some of the Jewish writings said that the Lord would send his servants Isaiah and Jeremiah to help them. And other writings spoke of a prophet like Moses who would solve their problems just like the first Moses did. See, the first Moses came and God used him to lead the people out of Egypt, lead them into this new covenant that God would make with them, the Mosaic Covenant. And so the people were looking for someone else like that, another Moses-type leader to come in, a prophet like Moses who would come to the people. And Moses did say to Israel back in Deuteronomy, he said, he told the people, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Well, that's just itching for speculation. They asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet, and again, John negatively confessed, I am not. John would not confirm their religious conclusions. He was not a prophet like they thought a prophet should be. That's an important qualification. There are all kinds of religious beliefs and ideas floating around when John wrote his gospel. Palestine or Israel was a place full of spiritual and religious ideas. It was was just thick with it, rich with it. It was not a secular type of world that we live in where we try to shove all that off to the side and draw this sharp line and don't bring any of that out into the public. Um, Of course, it always spills out into the public, but this was not that kind of a place. It was full of religious and spiritual ideas and expectations and all that going on. God God was doing this is what the people believed, or God was doing that, and they would be talking about it and interpreting what was happening. 
You could meet God here. You could meet him there. That's what they were talking about and looking forward to. The people's hearts were stirred up with religious and spiritual fervor. And these religious ideas bumped into John when the Jews came to question him. You see, they didn't just come to ask questions. They came with their ideas, with their beliefs, and all of that kind of bumps into John. However, John the Baptist refused to fit into any of these homegrown ideas about God and what he was doing. He refused to fit into these homegrown ideas. All that John would affirm was that he was the herald, the preparer of the way of the Lord. I am the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And that, of course, is a quote from the prophet Isaiah. What John was doing was based on the authority of the word of God. He was not just acting on his own volition, or he's just, he wasn't just a product of the times. He was acting on the authority of God and on nothing else. So that's why he was doing what he was doing, baptizing in the Jordan River, um, preparing, you know, speaking out and preparing the people, calling for them to repent. What John was doing was based on that authority of the word of God, and that's why he quotes from um, Isaiah Uh, the prophet Isaiah. It was not on the authority of the people's ideas. No matter how religious they were, that doesn't, is not an authority for doing what he was doing. And it wasn't based on the authority of the Jewish officials who very quickly uh, are turned against him and against Jesus Christ. It's not based on their authority. It's not based on the authority of his own personal testimony. John was not the one the people expected And he wasn't doing it because they expected something to happen. The people did not know who the one coming from the Lord was. John tells the Jewish officials, among you stands one you do not know. The coming one of the Lord is unknown. We might take this as John's reproach to those who heard him. That that might sound like he's telling them, you guys don't know what the heck you're talking about. You don't even know who you're looking for. And he's reproaching them for that. He was scolding them for being so blind that they, were, uh, that they should have been able to recognize the coming of the Lord, but they could not. That's the way we might hear that. However, John was not scolding them. Later, John the Baptist himself admits that he himself does not know who the coming one is. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't even know who the coming one is. He says, I myself did not know him, verse 33. John was only his herald, saying the one from the Lord was coming. The Lord had given him and sent him out, and he had that authority of the Lord to do what he was doing, to declare what he was doing, but he did not know who that one was either. The Messiah of the people is the unknown one. The spiritual mood in Palestine was stirred up and expectant, and everyone was talking about the Messiah Uh, who he would be, where he would be, and so on. Everyone had their ideas about the one coming from the Lord, and yet he was unknown to them. Just because people have all kinds of feelings and ideas and talk about something all the time, especially when it comes to God, doesn't mean they know him. This one is Jesus the Christ. As John the Baptist would say, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the the sin of the world. But John did not know who the coming one was until when? Until Jesus presented himself to John. That's when he knew. Yes, Jesus is the Lord who comes to us. He is the salvation of God. But until he presents himself to us, he's the unknown one. We could be someone, someone could know the whole Bible, could know it very well, can 
repeat it to you and find the verses really quick and know the Christian theology really well. But until Jesus Christ comes to them, to him or her, they don't know him. He's the unknown one. And so Jesus was the unknown one to John the Baptist's contemporaries. He was unknown to John. He was the unknown one to me. He's the unknown to you until he comes to us. Now, I'd like to recast this story for you this morning in a way that will make you think about uh, our culture where we live today. You, Christian, are like John the Baptist, called to testify to God and his salvation, to be a witness to the light of God in Jesus Christ that all may believe through him. And so there you are. That is what you're called to do. It never That calling isn't just a uh, six-day-a-week, 12-hour-a-day um, um, task. It's a constant, always-on kind of a, a testimony that we're to give. And so one day you're out getting a cup of coffee at the local coffee shop when a fellow, you don't know him, bumps into you, and he introduces himself to you and calls himself Soul Searcher. After purchasing your coffee, he asks you if you'd like to sit for a few minutes and talk. After all, he did bump into you, and you know, so you, you think, oh, okay. And having no pressing engagements, you agree and sit down with him. The quick conversation quickly moves from discussing your activities for the day, what kind of work you do, and that sort of thing, to talking about spiritual things. And you ask your new acquaintance why he calls himself Soul Searcher. I've heard some People pick some funny monikers for themselves, and that's one. That would provoke a conversation. That's probably why somebody like that chooses it. Soul searcher. He proudly says, that's because I am spiritual. Hmm, you think, maybe he's a Christian like you. You get kind of excited. So you ask him, what do you mean by spiritual? Soul searcher can't wait to tell you. Well, you see, Christian, it's like this. I describe myself as spiritual, not religious. Everyone must tread down his own spiritual path and find what he's looking for. And then you think to yourself, that sounds very circular. Your new acquaintance adds, you have to take responsibility, or we have to take responsibility for our own souls. So you raise your eyebrows a bit. This is kind of going off track. He's, he's not on that Christian track. Soul Searcher continues, I take full responsibility for my faith and believe in no specific creed. The old religions are so infused with dogma and politics that their spirituality is buried. I have found that spirituality is feeling the divine within you. Mentioning God, you ask him who he thinks God is. Soul Searcher says, God is not out there. He has hidden himself inside of us. If you listen to your heart, that's God talking. When you feel peaceful, that's feeling God's presence. God is in each and every one of us. And then Soul Searcher puts it together for you. Because God is inside, inside of us, we must spend more time meditating on ourselves. Spirituality is the essence of who I am. Because God is spirit, I have to be spiritual. Some people are aware of this and others are not, but that doesn't change the fact that, it, that's, that that's true. Even if I happen to become a member of some religion, like your Christianity, that doesn't change who I am. I have discovered my spiritual connection with God. And by now, you wish you'd had your coffee at home. (laughs) But you remember that you are a Christian, and here is a perfect opportunity to testify to God, although you're kind of wondering, how do I do this? This conversation that I've, I've that I've presented to you is not an anomaly. It's not some strange little thing that's odd in our culture. It's very common. Um, We run into it at the jail. 
I, I thought I heard pieces of it um, in the jail last Friday. But whatever the case, I've heard it from others there who uh, say many of these same kinds of things. It's the kind of belief that's very popular today. You don't just have to go to jail to find it. Newsweek magazine featured an article about it some years ago called In Search of the Spiritual. Not everything in our culture is secular. There's great interest in the spiritual and in God today. And you can bump into it wherever you go. How might we testify to Jesus Christ in the midst of all this soul-searching? Well, we listen to our scripture reading from the Gospel of John this morning. God is the unknown God. The scripture talks about how he's not like us. Who is a God like you, declares the scripture in Isaiah, meaning no one is a God like God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. We are not. He is the creator of all things. We are not. You can search inside yourself till the day is done to you, to the rest, for the rest of your life, and you will not find yourself being the Lord of heaven and earth, creator of all things. God preserves his creation. We don't do that. The Lord said to Job, Where were you when I found, laid the foundations of the earth? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that, lightnings that they may go? God judges our acts as to whether they are righteous or sinful, but we don't judge God. And if we do try to judge God, it falls, it falls flat because we aren't the judge. We are not in a position to judge God. He judges us. God saves us from our sin. We don't save ourselves. God is hidden to us. And again, in Isaiah, the Lord, or in Hosea, the Lord says, For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. He cannot be seen like I can see you and you can see me. He cannot be felt like you feel joy or sadness or peace inside. God cannot be heard like we hear each other speaking. Furthermore, we've all sinned. So it's, it's not just the reality of our existence and we're creatures and God's the creator. We've also sinned, and that separates us from God. Even God's own people were blind and deaf to him. In the book of Isaiah, the Lord talks about Israel, and he says, He sees many things, but does not observe them. He he, his ears are open, but he does not hear. Yet even if we've not sinned, even if that had never happened and we have not sinned, God would still be hidden to us. We Christians must be careful not to inadvertently encourage people's confused thinking about God. We must be clear that it's not because of our feelings, our experience of nature, the mystery in our lives, the depth of our souls, or anything else that we can know God. It's not based on that. When we identify God with anything else, with any of these things, we run the risk of confirming the spirituality that people have today. God is hidden to us unless he makes himself known to us. The Lord must come to us or we will not know him. And that includes his prophets. The Lord was hidden to Moses. Remember this? The Lord was hidden to Moses until God came to him at the burning bush. It's not that Moses didn't have an awareness that there's a God and all of that, but he did not know Yahweh. He did not know the God who said, I am who I am. The Lord was hidden to John the Baptist until Jesus walked by him. And the Lord is hidden to us until he comes to us. And that's exactly what God has done. He's come to us in Jesus Christ. That's what we look forward to in Advent, the Lord coming to us. All the mighty acts of God, all that word of God in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ because he is the Son of God. 
He is God himself who comes to us, and only in him may we know God and all that he's done for us. What does the word of God say to us and to Soul Searcher? If we think we know God apart from Jesus Christ, then we only know ourselves or maybe some idea about God and nothing more. Whether we bump into people this Advent or at any other time of this year, be clear, the only reason you know God or can know God is because of Jesus Christ. So I come back to that question at the beginning that my colleague asked, are there any prophets today? Well, the Reformed tradition has said that there are no new prophets today. Prophets have to do with the word of God, and there are no prophets today who bring new messages of God's revelation to us. As the Apostle Paul says, the foundation of the church has been laid, and it's Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, with the prophets and the apostles as the rest of the foundation. The word of God revealed in history is the foundation of the church. Those prophets, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, had a special role in the history of God's salvation, and that role is finished today. The foundation's been laid. However, some of the Swiss Reformed churches, namely with Zwingli, as well as the Scottish Presbyterians in the 16th and 17th centuries, formed preaching training services for ministers that they called prophesying. And in those meetings, they would get together, it would be an all-day affair, and they'd hear sermon after sermon, and they would respectfully critique and talk about how to preach and how to do that, and they called them prophesying. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And they thought about 1 Corinthians 14 when they used that word. It's because the word of God uh, that came to us from the apostles and prophets, the word of God that comes you know, with Scripture, was being spoken out in preaching. So that preaching was a kind of prophesying that continues today. That's the way they understood it. There is a prophetic task. I would not call myself a prophet, but I would say there is a prophetic task for the ministers of the church. It's proclaiming the word of God. And there's a prophetic task for you. You are to point people to Jesus Christ like John the Baptist. It's not enough for us to be content that we know God and the truth of his salvation in Jesus Christ. We must listen to people today, their questions about the Christian faith, and along with all their criticisms of it, and respond with theological explanation and stories they can understand. We need to to listen and respond, but that's not the end of it for us. What matters most of all is pointing people to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing. Behold the Lamb of God. We will not always have smart answers to people's questions and arguments. Sometimes we will have to confess that the church has sinned. Let's admit something's wrong when it is wrong. Our conversations with people will vary and be different. I'm reading a book on apologetics that I've been using for the class that that we teach here after worship. And, And he talks about this, pointing people to Jesus Christ. And then he just says, practice, practice, practice. Practice. And by that, he doesn't mean talking about Jesus Christ in front of the mirror, you know, to yourself, like, okay, I'm going to say this, and they're going to say that, and then I'll say this, and we just go back and forth by yourself in front of the mirror. He doesn't mean practice like that. He means with people in this world. And yes, you will come up short sometimes, not know what exactly to say. And you go back, you think about it, and I have this happen to me all the time. How do I respond to that? What do I say? I ask help from others you know, in the church to help me think that through. But as I do that, I'm hopefully getting better and better at pointing them to Jesus Christ. 
We must always, that's what we always must do, is point people to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes to them, he will convert them and make them his disciples. That's what Jesus does. We don't do that. The Gospel of John tells us later that John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, the disciples of John heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And that's very simply what we're doing, pointing people to Jesus Christ. When he comes to them, they follow him. May we point others to Jesus Christ so that they may meet him. Let us pray. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for your salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings, forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And may we never be content with our own meeting of Jesus Christ, but always be wanting to point, him, point others to him. And we thank you that he is our Redeemer and that we may celebrate with your church his coming to us, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. If you would, please stand and let us give a positive confession of what we believe. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead in the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 193, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence.
Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's from Ephesians chapter 1. God has blessed us richly, and not just with the ordinary things of life, but especially for our salvation. Jesus instituted this meal, this blessing that we receive, and he said, um, he said on the night of his arrest, he took the bread and gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I just thought about how it's got that word comes there, Advent, and points to his second coming, but also depends on his first coming. We receive Christ as he makes himself known in scripture and sermon and sacrament, and again, having heard the voice of Christ in scripture and sermon, let us now come to his table and receive his gifts. We come, only those can come who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of a Christian church. You are welcome to come and share this joyful feast of our Lord. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is our delightful joy and duty to give thanks to you, O God, through your beloved child, Jesus Christ, whom in the last times you did send to be a Savior and Redeemer. And at the end of the world shall come again to, as the judge who separates the wicked from the righteous, those who you make righteous. Your word is inseparable from you, through whom you made all things and in whom you were well pleased, whom you did send from heaven into the virgin's womb, and who was conceived within her and made flesh, demonstrating to be your son, being born of the Holy Spirit and the virgin, being God and man who fulfilled your will and prepared for you a holy people and did stretch forth your hands and your arms for suffering that he might release from suffering those who have faith in him, who was betrayed to voluntary suffering that he might abolish death and rend the bonds of the devil and tread down hell and enlighten the righteous with the good news of salvation and demonstrate the resurrection. And so we in all of heaven forever praise you, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord Most High. Remembering his death and resurrection, we receive the bread and the cup, giving thanks to you because you've made us worthy through Christ to stand before you. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup in faith may be for us a communion in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And grant to all your people who partake to be united with each other in the confirmation of their faith in truth, that we may praise and glorify you through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who with you, O Father, and the Holy Spirit, be glory and honor now and forever. And we offer our thanksgiving and say together, Amen. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night of his rest, took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I am. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Father in heaven, who sent your Son to redeem the world and will send him again to be our judge, give us grace so to imitate him in his humility 
and purity of his first coming, that when he comes again, we may be ready to greet him with joyful love and firm and a firm faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is the insert on Jordan's Bank, the Baptist Cries. so that you may approve what is excellent and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. be seated and good morning to everyone. Um, just a few uh, brief announcements. Uh, number one, the, um, there will be fi- Friday evening prayer this week, this week, correct? All right, and uh, that will be at the Hannams residence, so um, if you are able to attend, that would be uh, a wonderful thing. Uh, we are also coming up rapidly on our Christmas Eve service, um, and so as usual, we'll be uh, formatting that as a, a series of lessons and carols. So, if you are willing to read one of the lessons or possibly lead the uh, music in um, 
I'm not, I'm not sure we've ever turned away anyone for format, so uh, I don't know if we'd go as far as kazoos or things like that, but um, if you have music ability and, uh, in any regard, uh, we would love to have you uh, lead us in one of those songs. Um, would also just uh, raise up to you uh, that we were at the Oakland County Jail the other day for uh, services, so please continue to keep that ministry in your prayers. Um, it is uh, it's a blessing to be there, and it's kind of, I would say, in some ways, back as strong as ever. But um, you know, just it's um, it's always interesting to see the, these men. A lot of them are, you know, a lot of our attendees. Um, you know, many are there because they are. Uh, I guess, you know, our solid Christians who just have managed to make certain decisions that, that uh, were bad, really poor ones. Um, but uh, a, lot are, a lot are there because they're, they're sort of bored out of their minds, so they'll attend as, as something to do. Um, but a lot of them ha- have some structure, you know, the, the, their time in jail is actually excellent for, hey, we have, a, we have a daily prayer time together in our little pod, and we have, you know, these daily Bible studies, and I go to church, you know, whoever's offering church any given Friday. So, um, but a lot of them then... Um, don't don't transition that well, and a lot of those structures that are in place are, um, you know, they say, well, as soon as I get this, that, and the other together, then maybe I'll look for a church, and and that just never happens. So, anyway, please uh, lift up not just the ministry, but the uh, the men who are uh, and women who are um, currently in residence there. Um, that that when they when they transition back to uh, uh, civilian life, they get plugged into a church and, and continue to be uh, surrounded by people who, uh, who love their souls and not just their company. Um, I think that's all I have. Does anybody else have anything from the floor? Sorry, Thursday prayer at uh, Deneen's place, as it's sometimes known. Very good. All right, then there is a short uh, protocol announcement here that uh, from Jeff. So the session's been talking about the children in worship um, and decided to go forward with uh, blessing the children during the Lord's Supper so that the children would come forward also. Um, They can't receive the Lord's Supper until they are communicant members, but they've been baptized. And so um, they would come forward and I would... um, Yes? Is he waving at me? Uh, Probably. (laughs) Yeah, you're one of them. Um, And... uh, (laughs) And so they would come forward and uh, in line there, and um, I would uh, say a blessing over them. Something like, you know, that God bless you to, to be strong in faith, to increase in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, um, something on that order. Um, the background for this, the basis for this, um, it falls very nicely into the Reformed tradition. Um, you do have in Scripture Jesus blessing the children, right? The, the children, young children especially, were considered you know, non-entities really in, in Roman society. So for Jesus to acknowledge them is significant. But also, um, he's, he is doing that. He is blessing the children in the presence of his disciples. So um, there is some precedent for that, Jesus doing that. And then um, also, because of our covenant theology, we understand our children as being a part of the church. Um, they are not outside the church and so they're, they're covenant children, right? They're the children of believers, and so that the rights and privileges of being a part of the church apply to them as well, um, generally speaking. And so it would be appropriate for them to hear the blessings of Christ and God's promises for them, not just for the adults. Um, so that's sort of the background. 
If you have a quick question, we can, I can try to answer that. If this turns into, if you want to talk more about this, then let me know that, and we'll actually have a dedicated class for it. But we didn't think that would be necessary, so we're just going to do it this way kind of quickly. But if you would like to spend more time talking about it or raise more questions, we can you know, dedicate a class for it probably next week. Any questions or comments? Okay, well, that's the plan. So. Uh, I think that's it. I'm not sitting uh, we are having Christian yeah. Ed. Yes, Christian Ed will start uh, shortly. So go grab your uh, your coffees and your snacks and enjoy being around each other for a bit. <laughs>